What's up everybody and welcome to B2B Made Simple. If you're passionate about marketing, you're in the right place. Whether you're doing marketing for a brand new startup or a $100 million enterprise, you'll learn strategies that'll help you build a solid team, impact your pipeline, and look like an absolute rock star to upper management. Why? Because these guys are the pros. They're not pretending to know the industry, they're in the trenches on a daily basis. My name is Sam Moss. I'm the co-founder of One Click Agency. We build websites for B2B companies, and I'm also the co-host of this podcast. If your goal is to become the marketer everyone else looks up to, keep listening. Hey, hey, everybody. Welcome back again to B2B Made Simple. It's wonderful to have you tuning in every single week. And now, even more than that, hopefully, we have a couple episodes coming out every single week. So that's that's exciting. Um, but I am even more excited to introduce my guest today, uh, Tolgar Apagutz. I, I probably just butchered that, but you might need to clean that up for me. And uh, he's the VP of marketing at Tatsoft. Uh, Tolgar, great to have you here, man. <laughs> Thanks for having me, Sam. That was pretty close, actually. So I'll give you pretty credit. close. Okay. <laughs> awesome, man. Um, so before we dive into the show, a new question we've been asking, are you a Pepsi guy or a Coke guy? Ooh, you know what? Uh, when I was younger, I was more into Pepsi, but as I've gotten older, I've kind of diverted to Coke, ironically. So, You know, that's actually really interesting. I read in, I think it was the 22 Immutable Laws of Marketing, um, that Pepsi, I mean, it's cliche, they say choice of a new generation, but it was like geared toward the younger crowd. And then Coke was like, hey, you've made it in life. And it, that was the marketing philosophy behind it. So that's funny that you say that, that you kind of moved down that that hole but i i enjoy coke uh the coke products a lot more too so that's that's cool to hear you've made um, it as well congratulations i i've made it here we are <laughs> that's funny um so your vp of marketing at tatsoft uh give us a background on you so what got you to where you are in marketing today share some uh, details of maybe the team that you're working with at tatsoft um start us off with that sure so you know i'm, I'm just going to put it out there Probably no one really grows up saying, hey, I'm going to be a marketer. <laughs> uh, it's just kind of one of those things that you, you know, fall into. And um, I've kind of had a myriad of experiences that all led me to where I am now. And, and it's great because you can kind of take that eclecticism and apply it to marketing. Um, but in the last seven years, I've been focused on the technology side of things, but I've been marketing for about 17 plus years. And so, you know, taking the culmination of those experiences between technology, I, I was in the medical field for a while. I was uh, actually worked as a sound designer for film and TV for a little bit. So all of those little skill sets have kind of helped contribute to that. But in the last seven years, I really focused working on industrial and manufacturing uh, B2B areas. Mm -hmm. So at an AI, machine learning, some of the, you know, newer technologies, what they call IIoT, which is industrial internet of things. So. Mm -hmm. For me, it's been a mix of the media side that I enjoy, the technology side that I enjoy, and just the connection with people. So, it, you know, it's a fulfilling role for sure. Yeah. So explain your role at Tatsoft. So do you have a team that you're over right now? Yeah, we have, I have a team of three people that I work with right now. So we're not, you know, we're not a massive company in terms of what we're trying to achieve. This year has been really kind of our mainstream effort as it were we we have software that we've been working with for about 10 years that you know over time we've added new 
capabilities and features. And right now we're ready to kind of launch that in a mainstream aspect. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, cool. Well, let's, let's jump right into what we have planned today. Um, we're kind of all over the place when it comes to agenda, but I like these kind of talks because we, we touch on a lot of different things and we'll just see where it takes us. So um, the first thing I want to talk to you about is a lot of B2B companies are, are tied to old marketing practices. Um, for some reason, maybe it's the C-suite that's influencing that. Maybe it's the VCs, but it's out there. Um, why do you think that so many companies are still stuck in the past? Well, I, I think it comes down to human nature in some capacity, right? Uh, mm-hmm. You know, one of the challenges we always have with anyone in sales on our team is the customer always says, this is the way we've always done things, mm-hmm. right? And so that kind of also translates into the marketing practices. And to your point, as in my experience, you know, when I'm dealing with the, the, the C-suite in general, there is sort of a gravitation towards some of those things. And, you know, I follow uh, Udi from uh, Gong and he always says, you know, the 80-20 rule, which is 80% kind of fulfill what your CEO or CFO are expecting and 20% is where you can really take the risks. Mm-hmm. Um, the answer of why is hard to kind of justify because I think it's a case by case basis, but the fundamentals of connection, interactivity, getting out there is all the same. I think just the technologies around it and how you do it are different. And so at a fundamental level, the, the, the dynamic of connection, education, information is the same. How you deliver it may change. And I think sometimes in marketing specifically, when you're dealing with folks who are kind of more um, looking at things from a pass-fail perspective or a binary, some of the subjective things or perhaps areas where you may not be able to measure attribution in the way that you can systematically in what we call the older practices uh, causes a little bit of a gray area, a little bit of uncertainty. So you just kind of have to prove it out as it were. And that's why I think if you, if you can do the 80, 20, you can show over time where the successes are. And I think at least in my experience, we've been able to kind of steer that ship. Mm -hmm. I love what Gong did the Super Bowl. No one would have ever thought that a B2B comp- a SaaS company, for example, would be running a, a, I thought it was a cool ad. I, I listened to his podcast that he did with Chris Walker. He broke it down the entire process of, of what they did and, and how it came together. It was so cool. Um, so you guys, you guys do follow like the 80, 20 rule is just a rule of thumb when it comes to 80% of, we're just going to follow the, our, our core practices. And then 20% of, Hey, let's experiment. Well, yeah, I wouldn't say it's so defined in that that's Mm -hmm. what I apply in every scenario, but in circumstances where leadership Mm -hmm. may be apprehensive towards some of these, you know, risk taking, like if I were to just sit in a boardroom and say, hey, I want to advertise in the Super Bowl, (laughs) you know, Mm -hmm. what you're going to have to articulate. Could you imagine just like, could you actually imagine that for a second? (laughs) Oh my gosh. I got a great idea. (laughs) (laughs) Put our name on the Goodyear blimp. I mean, you have to kind of yeah. things out, right? And so I think as you do other things that are outside of the norm or a little bit risky, you prove it out, right? But, but mm-hmm. the substantive quantified necessary points that have to be delivered first allow you to then pivot and take some mm-hmm. of those risks. I think if you focus on just taking the risks in the absence of maybe some of the sound fundamentals, I'll call them, then you're probably going to have, you know, a more difficult time convincing everyone that needs to be a key stakeholder. 
Mm -hmm. Do you have any examples off the top of your head of times when you were maybe in the 20% camp and you're like, Hey, let's experiment with this. Or maybe some things that you're doing now that you can't quantify, but you just feel that they're working. Sure. Well, I'll, I'll tell you right now, you know, we work in a very technical field. And so mm -hmm. there is always a need for information, but for the most part, when we look at profiles of our targets, they tend to consume information in data sheets, white papers, it's very text heavy. And that, and so I said, let's start, you know, not necessarily a podcast per se, but just a live stream effort where, you know, we do this on a weekly basis. So in that respect, it fits as a podcast model, but it's also part training. It's mm -hmm. part information and showing features, you know, we're fortunate that our, our CTO and founder is also the person who created the software. And so now I've got him on the podcast with us where in real time, you can talk to the leadership of the company of the software that you're thinking of purchasing and hearing background stories in a way that maybe you wouldn't be able to get or differentiate through traditional white papers, case studies, what have you. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And it's, it's just tough to, to prove it that, hey, this is attributing to revenue, but you know, Hey, we have, we have people reaching out saying, Hey, we enjoy the podcast or maybe some customers are listening and you can't put a number on it, but at least you have that qualitative data, right? Well, you know, you, you threw Chris Walker's name out there, but he always says, what's the value of someone watching your video. Right. And mm -hmm. so when we, when we look at the consumption of YouTube within the last 30 days versus the last 90 days versus the last 10 years, you know, almost one one sixth of our consumption has come in the last 90 days mm. in the course of that entire channel. So what that tells me is that there's a hunger for that. And I can see which topics resonate, which then gives us an offshoot to build training material around it, curriculum, as well as, you know, potentially marketing material. But more importantly, what it has done is it has built an affinity for those that want to get educated without being touched by sales per se. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And, and, and so in that respect, yes, we've definitely seen the impact. And, I, and it has shortened in some instances what, you know, I would define as our sales cycle. And when they do come to us, uh, they're far more ready to, to, to make something happen. So conversion rates have increased, you know, customer lifetime value will be tracking, but I, I'm assuming that will also, you know, increase. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that, that's a really good point about the sales cycle, because if someone has been listening to you for so long, whether it's on a podcast, they're consuming your content on LinkedIn, um, wherever it may be, they're so much more comfortable with you as a person and a brand. And it really puts a face to what you have going on. You mentioned your CEOs on the, or your, your founders on the show, your CTO, and they're, they're probably so much more connected with the brand, just hearing, oh, over and over and over again, the, the stories you have. And just like you mentioned, when they finally do reach out, they're so much further in the process of trust because they feel like they know you. I mean, I, I'm, I feel that way when I listen to Dave Gearhart, Chris Walker, will I ever use one of their services? Who knows? Chris Walker, probably not. Dave Gearhart, probably not. But I feel like I know them and other podcasts and other people on LinkedIn, just from the brand they built, it's just, it's so cool to have that connection. So it does work and you guys are obviously doing it right. Yeah, no, you're, you're spot on in that, in the respect that, you know, it really comes down to people. And I, and I say this all the time, whether you're B2B, B2C, whatever it is, it's always people that are differentiated. What's unique now is that, you know, in previous format, and you know, you'll hear LinkedIn is not Facebook and you'll hear some kind of 
dichotomy between personal self, business self, this authenticity that's happening where the, the polish is being negated for the actual mm-hmm. information delivered, right? Mm-hmm. And when you do that and you're doing that in a less than polished, less than scripted manner, what's happening is you're creating a, you, the, the tribalism, right? Because there's customization, there's personalization, and there's this affinity of where you're attracting folks to you rather than you going out and trying to grab what you think your ICP is per se. And so when that happens is that the trust and the credibility is so sound and then you make a touch maybe in real life, there's no dissonance between what they saw in the video and who you are, quote unquote, in, in, in person, you know, mm-hmm. and that helps strengthen the bond even faster because now I know that the person I'm with is what I saw. They speak the same way. They act the same way. It wasn't just some sort of, you know, polish, like I said, and therefore we can work together because really it comes down to the customer experience now, which is at the end of the day, quite frankly, all products can do similar things, right? I mean, there's little nuances, but they all do the same thing. Mm -hmm. So it's really about what's it like working with you. I personally, when I buy a product, I always first check out their support troubleshooting because I know at some point it's going to fail. And so I don't want to wait till a year later when it breaks down and then I have to go this nightmarish experience that I hadn't mitigated ahead of time. So if you can deliver that up front, then it's not even so much just down to the nitty gritty of features and benefits. It becomes about the whole ecosystem of working with you. Mm-hmm. I have a good example of this. Uh, so all my videos that when I'm on a podcast, I'm sitting here. It's the same background. When I'm on a sales call, same background. I do sales for, for our company, right? And then it was funny. I had someone, it was more of a consulting call and I I hopped on and he goes, wow, this is weird. I've been watching your videos for so long and you're actually answering back to me. This is just odd because it's the same setting for all my videos, but he's now on the zoom call with me. So it's cool. The connection I was able to build and I hadn't noticed him commenting on any of my posts. Like maybe he liked them. I don't really go through the likes too often, but he was watching, had been consuming for so long. And by the time we actually connected, the relationship had gone from zero to 60 instead of zero to one. Um, it was at 60 before we were ever on the call. And I think it's just such a cool thing that, that a lot of companies are really missing out on. Well, that's the thing, right? I mean, you think of sales traditionally, right? I, I mean, I, I, I've worked with guys who have bragged about, hey, I know this customer's wife's name. I know that his kids got baseball practice, you know, whatever they whatever they feel like they've gotten to the point where they're just they have this real connection, but it took them a period of six months, right? Where a lot of this information is now out there already. People are volunteering this, right? So when mm-hmm. you do that, you can get to the, the the trust and the credibility much faster. And I think that's the advantage for both parties involved. How long has it been for you guys? So whether it's your organic content strategy, your podcast, when did you start to get some of the qualitative wow, people are recognizing us or we are getting traction in this area. Did you have a, a time frame where you noticed that was starting to happen? So I joined the company in March of 2020 mm-hmm. and the goal was to launch fairly close to there, but then COVID hit, right? And then we worked with manufacturing and they were impacted in the summer. Tends to be slow. So it was really October when we relaunched, we rebranded, we had some new development in our software and we released what we, version 9.1. And I would say it was about a month and a half, two months after where I started seeing all the intent signals coming through some of the qualitative you know, measurements. Mm-hmm. Um, so you guys have a podcast, 
what other strat is that the only strategy or do you have more brand awareness plays that you guys are doing? Yeah, no, I mean, that's just one facet of it. I think in the past we've had so much information to deliver that it was overwhelming in, in some ways. So we've broken it down based on the channels where the podcast right now specifically is focused on maybe some of the training aspects we're going to be launching another series that's going to be showcasing partners who are using our software and what they've achieved. Um, but above and beyond that, you know, it, it really email is impactful for us because it's sans any algorithm impact. Uh, we do webinars fairly frequently, which have been really successful um, because we do a lot of live demos. Mm -hmm. um, and so our, our community really is focused on just pure information. And, and because there's so much to discern, we kind of focus on working as a curator of that information. But really, our channels are primarily LinkedIn and YouTube. Mm -hmm. uh, we, we, we work with emails. And then we've done some trade shows. Obviously, there's not much in terms of in-person, but we've done some virtual shows. And that's really been our focused areas as of right now. Mm -hmm. I'd love to hear uh, how you guys distribute, for example, podcasts your podcast content. So um, typically you have the long form. Do you guys chop it up and then distribute it from there? Or do you just promote the long form? Explain how you guys do that. No, we definitely, you know, each episode is anywhere from 45 minutes to an hour. So for sure, we dissect that in probably about 20, 20 to 25 pieces. And there's a lot of different um, unplanned gems that arise in the conversation, which is great because again, we're with the CTO and founder. So he always pulls out some egg that I had or nugget that I hadn't even discussed with him. And I'm like, wow, this That's is great. The best, so, though. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So no, for sure, we repurpose uh, as much as possible uh, and, mm -hmm. and break that into all the different channels and push out uh, across a myriad of ways. And sometimes we'll, you know, transcribe it and give it in text form. Sometimes we'll just use the video. Uh, sometimes we'll make something that's a little more polished in, you know, in terms of marketing collateral. Mm -hmm. um, one thing that I, I do not think that companies, especially in B2B SaaS should be doing is outsourcing the written content or the overall brand content. And obviously you guys have your CTO and your founder as the pillar, like leader of the content and then you chop it up from there. Um, so when it comes to that, was it tough to get him to do that? Because I think a lot of companies are doing it wrong. They're just outsourcing it and they don't realize that they need to actually have someone that's knowledgeable in the industry because you're creating a media company for your ideal customer. So you need to provide value. What was it like trying to get him on board for that? Well, when I joined the company, you know, we had a website, as I said, that was superfluous with information. And, and, mm -hmm. and I always believe, just like Google, that it's really about speed and relevancy, right? How quickly can I deliver the information and how correct is what you're looking for? And so we've truncated those pieces on the website with a rebrand effort. And then I really don't use outsourcing because we're so niche it's very difficult to find people that are going to speak the vernacular we need or have yeah. understanding of the concepts anyhow. Um, what I recognized is that in my uh, team here, including our CTO, our president, they're all casts uh, characters in, in a movie, right? And who is playing what role? And so the CTO is the protagonist who understands everything and can kind of break it down into a way that translates it so that if I were to outsource... Mm -hmm. And, you know, it could be delivered, but he was very open to it because he's, 
he loves honestly uh, engaging and educating as much as possible. And what I love about his style is that it's not so specific about our software. He likes to tackle the high level concepts so that even if we're agnostic and it doesn't matter if it's our platform or someone else, here are the things you should consider. I mean, he's got, you know, 25 plus years of experience in this industry. So I think that's a key thing that uh, a lot of people, you know, when, when you're going to look for something in particular, you're trying to get it answered. It, it's really relegated between here and here. Whereas with him, he's got all this additional conceptual context to apply to that. And that just seems to resonate a lot more with our audience. Mm -hmm. um, so if someone doesn't have that C-suite executive that is willing to hop on a podcast, but the marketing team has the green light to do something like that, um, and they know they just can't outsource content because it's just not the same, what would you, how would you approach that? And what would be a, a strategy moving forward for them? Well, I mean, I I, I believe in the value of podcasts, right? And, and, and but you you have to have people who are comfortable with doing that. I mean, you can't be forced. Um, but I do maybe not even maybe not even podcasts, but just content as a whole, because obviously, yeah. yeah, like whether it's LinkedIn, organic, or YouTube podcast, anything in that realm. But they don't have the C suite bought in because they just don't feel comfortable. Is there a way around that to get that content out there without outsourcing it? I mean, there is, you're not always going to get buy-in with what you're doing. You know, again, it comes down to that 80-20, but I think you have to first build what I call the fundamentals, right? And so we know that website is always a fundamental. We know that in some capacity, email is a fundamental. Now, I was reading a stat recently from Statistica that like within the last year, the daily outgoing email has increased by 12 billion, right? So there's some sort of saturation that's happening. Half of those uh, end up in, in my inbox. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so when you, you first have to make sure that your fundamentals are sound. And, and really that comes to understanding if social is right for you, what channels mm -hmm. work for you, right? And so I think with understanding buy-in from C-suite, sometimes it's better to ask for forgiveness than it is to beg for permission. Mm -hmm. And you have to take that initiative um, where you can test two things at once. And, and, and if you can A-B some of those things, then you can build that affinity and that proof out to the C-suite. I don't think that you're always going to get approval. But, you know, for me, the battle has always been trade shows. That's mm -hmm. a massive investment. And we, you know, we understand that there's going to be high intent generally if you do it right, if there's a campaign around it. And most of the leaders that I've worked with always favor that. And I say, okay, well, for that amount of money, we can also do these things, right? That we mm -hmm. can maybe, if we're working on a brand awareness strategy, we'll get more out of it this way. So I think it's always good to offer options to your leadership rather than just say it's this or this or this. I think that in my experience, when you know leaders have certain principles that they kind of gravitate towards, but you can take those principles, those worries, those fears, and just the same way you would sell to your future customer by trying to solve the problem, you can do the same thing with your leadership. First, understand what the objection is from them. And if it's maybe a risk, maybe it's a bad experience in the past, whatever it is, and negate that. And you can slowly weather away. I think of it as like acid rain on a storm, I mean, on a statue. You just need to slowly, you know, kind of chip away at it. Mm -hmm. So there, 
for me personally, there's never been a silver bullet, just like marketing, there's no silver bullet you have to test. But I think over time, you can definitely show leadership as long as you understand what it is you're trying to accomplish and how you're measuring that so that you can kind of show them the benchmarks and the proof. Mm-hmm. Um, we're coming up on the end of the episode here, but uh, something we're, we've been doing, I think it's pretty fun, is reversing roles. So you'll become the podcast host for a few minutes here and basically shoot any questions my way that you might have for me. So is there anything that comes to mind um, that's just bugging you that you might want to ask me out here on the air? You know, I'm always curious, just uh, one, what's some unspoken MarTech, you know, that you may be using that mm-hmm. uh, you could share with folks. And, uh, and the other one is, you know, if this is a question that was asked to me that I just love is if you had a magic wand to just a certain amount of budget, let's say 50K, for instance, where would you spend it? You know, how would you, mm-hmm. how would you break that out? Um, so I'll answer the first question. Uh, secret MarTech, that would have to be Hotjar. I've mentioned it a few times, but <laughs> I'm addicted to just watching people on our website. And I think you can really understand their habits and what needs to be improved on a website by the way that cl- people are clicking around. <laughs> For example, maybe they're clicking on something over and over and over again, but it's not a button. So maybe you need to restructure your UX to kind of cater to that to make sure it's easier for them to understand where to go. Um, you can see what they're reading just because you can see them them stop scrolling. So as a website guy, that has to be my favorite. Uh, we have it on our site, highly recommend it. Um, as for if I had a budget that I can spend anything on it, I wanted to, I would have to go with, uh, I would hire someone to do a better job of distributing and chopping up content. For example, from our podcast right now, it just, it just takes so much time. It takes a lot of time. And uh, we, we normally do one video and we normally do a graphic, but it would be cool to start implementing slide decks, um, more graphics, more video. There's just so much. And we have the content saved and maybe down the road we can do that. But if I had a magic wand, that would be it just to saturate uh, an organic channel with it. Um, I think that's an amazing strategy to go with. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you 100% there in the respect that I was approached by a company that does exactly what you're saying, and but they had positioned it in a way that it was, it sounded like AI was going to do a lot of the work. Mm, yeah. And then as I sat through the meeting, it was like, no, we've got a team that's also going to look at, you know, the person's face and what pieces might be good to pull out because there's that part of the approach that you still need the human touch. But I'm, I'm a proponent of some of the things that AI can deliver in terms of your, you know, the scale, but I haven't found the solution for that yet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it would, it would be cool. I think it's, it's come a long way. I'm interested to see what happens. I heard that AI was doing um, blogging now. So they'll take a topic and just write a blog, which sounds incredible in theory. I'd be curious to see how in depth it is and genuine it feels. Um, but it, it's crazy how far it, it's come for sure. Yeah, Absolutely. Um, but anyway, man, appreciate you, you joining me here. We'll wrap this up. Um, before we go, I always like to hear the elevator pitch of the company that's, that's on the podcast. So give us the quick rundown of what Tatsoft does. Sure. So simply put, Tatsoft is an industrial software company, and we make a platform that allows you to enable industrial applications. Very cool. Manufacturing and industrial customers, simply put. There you go. Awesome, man. Well, Tolgar, appreciate you being here. Uh, You've been a wonderful guest. Uh, Went over a lot of cool things today. Um, Thanks for being here, man. Appreciate you having me. Thank you, Sam.